Okay, so we're finally back in uh, Genesis. Oh, and I, I want to say just before that, uh, Dave, you had mentioned uh, Eliakim uh, that we're looking at in Luke, uh, and you were right. Uh, that shows why you have to read very carefully. I had actually studied that and, uh, and realized this must be a different Eliakim, even though, yeah, maybe kind of around, around the same time. Uh, but I had, I had studied that previously, but then, and recognized that, but then working on other passages and stuff, I forgot what I had already learned. So, you know, that, that was probably one of my biggest uh, blunders. So, you know, uh, I have to crow there. Uh, but uh, the, the important thing is, bound up with Eliakim, you see these connections in Isaiah, uh, where uh, he shall be uh, a father uh, uh, in Israel, uh, that uh, the government, uh, well, you have the, the, the key uh, that's upon his shoulder, uh, and the government, the authority. So you have these connections back uh, to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, with the, uh, the child is born, the son is given. <coughs> you see all these connections, but you see he falls woefully short of, of all of them. <laughs> Uh, and so it shows, no, this one, uh, this son, this child that's to be born, uh, this Davidic heir is not Eliakim. He, yes, he, he was faithful, he was this believer, but even he fails, uh, Hezekiah fails, uh, Hezekiah dies, doesn't live and reign uh, forever, isn't, isn't uh, wonder of a counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who... Uh, who reigns and rules and establishes the Davidic throne uh, from this time forth and for uh, forevermore. And so then uh, we looked at uh, in Matthew and Luke, uh, New Testament revelation, you have these ideas of uh, the, the key, you know, the keys to the kingdom, uh, binding and loosing. Uh, I mean, really, as uh, in, in many ways, you have uh, Eliakim, who's given this authority, God delegates this authority, takes it from Shevna, gives it to him. Eliakim is his steward. Uh, he clothes them in, in the robe and the garments and uh, all of that. Um, and now Jesus delegates this authority for uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, that, that will come down from heaven, you know, from God. He delegates this authority to his apostles uh, which then is also given uh, to the church, uh, the disciples. Uh, and so even when it comes to exercising uh, the, uh, the fearsome responsibility of, well, calling fellow believers to, uh, to repentance, uh, but even if it comes to uh, ultimately to church discipline, uh, that, that, uh, that binding, uh, that loosing, uh, ultimately is, is delegated, uh, delegated authority that comes from heaven, uh, it must be uh, stand on uh, Christ's uh, commandments, uh, his word, uh, and to, to not go beyond them. And you see that all the way throughout Revelation uh, to, uh, to the end, uh, that he has the king of, or the key of, uh, of David uh, and over the kingdom. Uh, those who enter, uh, those who, who do not. And even with, with church discipline, when you're to regard someone as a Gentile tax collector, it means you're to regard them as an unbeliever. They're put outside of the, the kingdom. They, they don't belong. And it, on some level, it doesn't matter if you have a rebellious church. Well, that falsely binds. We spoke about that. You know, if they're falsely binding people, then they put them out because, well, you didn't believe the words of man. Um, that doesn't hold. They're, they can't put them outside of the kingdom. But if you have a rebellious church that refuses to di discipline when God says to, uh, which is the loving and right uh, and good thing to do uh, for the good of those people to call them to repentance, but also for uh, the purity of the church, uh, the glory of Christ. Uh, if a rebellious church refuses uh, to exercise uh, church discipline, well, if someone's in unrepentant rebellion, they're not going to enter Christ's kingdom. They're not going to enter through uh, the narrow gate. Uh, they're not on the narrow path. And that's why it's important to uh, lovingly call one another, you know, remove the, the log from, from our eye, but then help our brother remove the speck from his. Uh, like James says, snatch him from the fire uh, because God uses that to 
uh, to restore believers and to keep them uh, on the narrow path. So, uh, yeah. This description is so rich with learning. I almost yeah. need to take up the time with a question. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, um, okay, uh, there's only one sinless person, and that's Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, hopefully, so we don't, we're not attempting towards perfectionism or uh, to sinlessness, but to hopefully uh, sin hyphen less, mm -hmm. just repentant. Uh, so my question is not, was repentance available in the Old Testament? Uh, that's, that's one to think about, but it really doesn't matter because Christ covers the bill, it doesn't matter. I mean, God will deal with them as he deals with them. But the fact is, everybody's going to fail mm -hmm, at some mm -hmm, time mm -hmm, or the other. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to, so... That's why we live a life, I think Martin Luther spoke about that, but it's biblical, live a life of repentance, a life of turning from sin, uh, turning to God, to Christ, uh, to the throne of grace. And that's also a mark of a true, uh, true believer. Uh, God, when he... Uh, gives someone life and regenerates them by his spirit uh, that uh, that they they turn uh, from their old life no and, way am I and trust sin. in I Christ really need to defend sin at all. Yeah, yeah. but Eliakim is just like me you know but we're not I mean, we're not glorified yet well, so yeah, we, we, I'm just saying that uh, in Isaiah it was Eliakim right yeah and he failed and failed really bad mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. stubbed his toe badly but he ended up and it was Moses, so much David so I mean, I'm going to do the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have confidence in my Lord that uh, he's going to use it and it's for something mm -hmm. to learn by, you know, uh, find out what there is there to learn from all that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should put on my slippers at night. That's the end of that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not something that we go seeking after. No, absolutely not. <laughs> or else we'd have a martyr complex, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, yeah. We'd have to be a masochist or something. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're not to sin and yet... Yeah, we, you know, we, uh, we stumble. And so we, we have to look uh, to Christ because he's the only one who can keep us from, you know, stumbling. Uh, yeah. Isn't it a sense the, the law of the Old Testament, isn't that form of repentance? I mean, you turned mm -hmm. from your way of life to, yes, we're going to follow God and, and, you know, here's the law, you agree to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, that's, that's a form of repentance to, mm -hmm. to be and even in that, it wasn't a matter of, of works righteousness because God gave provision for repentance. What Deuteronomy 32, 31, 32, I think by 32 at least. Uh, and that's not just talking about the, the new covenant, even though the new covenant uh, grant brings about the fullness you know, uh, of, of what was uh, demanded and hoped for. Um, that God would bring about through his promises and covenants. Uh, but uh, there was provision for atonement, even though it could ultimately perfect them, you know, as day after day and day of atonement, year after year. And so it was repetitive, but they could believe. God says uh, that uh, the priest shall make atonement and I will forgive them. And they could believe that. He, he atoned for them. They forgave him. Um, and maybe they didn't know the fullness yet of well, how's he going to deal with this repetitive nature of this uh, in the coming perfect sacrifice uh, that, uh, that was needed and, and required and, uh, and after this pattern? But they could believe. God said, priest will shall atone from I will forgive. I will forgive them. I will forgive well, their sins. It seems like it's always been about faith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was your faith in? It wasn't necessarily the law. It was that God was going to forgive you yeah. And so, and then those sacrifices, it was kind of a provisional forgiveness. Uh, it, was, it was a temporary, it was a partial uh, that they could trust God that he would do this. But there's kind of this tension, still year after year. And so uh, waiting for ultimately a perfect sacrifice. But God also, he also circumcised hearts uh, under the, the old covenant. Uh, and I mean, put his spirit and Joshua, Joshua and Caleb had different spirit. What spirit was that? <laughs> um, was he just talking about them? I, I think if you read it in context and the flow of everything, uh, God's spirit uh, was at, at work uh, to, uh, to keep them from uh, the rebellion of the other ten spies. Uh, and they go into the land. But God granted circumcised hearts, but not for all the people. Uh, not for all the people. It was a remnant. You know, 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to, uh, to Baal. Uh, and so he kept them 
uh, even though Elijah thought he was the only one who was left. And so there was the circumcision of hearts, but it wasn't for everyone. New covenant, all those who truly belong to the new covenant, uh, God circumcises all their hearts. He, he re, uh, regenerates them all. And now a once for all perfect sacrifice. And so my point there is that when they were to repent and believe, uh, they were to look to God uh, and to cry out to God to circumcise their hearts. They were to trust into his atonement for the forgiveness of sins. And so keeping his commandments then uh, was they needed God's grace. Uh, and God didn't even command them anything, as many scholars point out, or th those commandments uh, didn't come until God had already redeemed them out of Egypt. <laughs> and he didn't, a lot of times you refer back to, but because of your father's, you know, I, I did this, I did this thing. And so there is kind of this tension in the law uh, in which, yeah, it's now once for all sacrifice, circumcision of the hearts. They have to keep telling their brothers, know the Lord, because they don't, the people don't know the Lord. So they have to keep, keep saying, don't you know God? You know, uh, they, they have to call them to repentance. But one day in Israel, uh, when it's populated only with those who believe and who have uh, regenerate hearts, on uh, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 32, Ezekiel 36, it said, uh, and they shall no longer each say to his brother, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest of them, says uh, Yahweh God. I was just going to ask about, Eric and Bob talk a lot about means of grace. Mm -hmm. And in the New Testament, is the law or was the law back then God's means of grace? Because we see it in the New Testament as a guardian, yeah, yeah. which was supposed to point them or that kept them until the fulfillment would mm -hmm, come. Mm -hmm. So I guess I always kind of looked at the law as a means of grace where it was God's means that he gave at that time. Maybe, yeah, in, in, a, in a sense, by his spirit, so recognizing that God circumcises hearts, right. uh, recognizing it's only by God's spirit, recognizing they need atonement, uh, they can't have right standing with God uh, just by... Uh, just by, uh, you know, their own self-righteousness. Uh, they need the forgiveness of sins. They need cleansing. They need uh, to be justified, uh, to declare righteous in, in God's sight. They need to be reconciled to him. And so that only by God's spirit, uh, the law still had uh, had this function where we talk about like the law is, uh, you know, author, I'm trying to think of, uh, what's on tip of my tongue? Uh, uh, Brian S. Rosner talks about the law as wisdom. Uh, and there, it had this character, God's wisdom, God's commandments, God's instruction. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise uh, knowledge and in, in instruction. Um, or is, is fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, I believe. Um, and so God's commandments, his teachings taught them. You see that like in Psalm 119 and such. Uh, and so it was a, a light uh, to guide them and to teach them and instruct them as it was applied to their hearts by the Spirit of God. And uh, they're taught in wisdom and righteousness. But then you also have uh, the, the law is covenant. And part of it, you see these, God will grant repentance or like a national repentance for a time. And there will be a restoration to God. Uh, but it always falls short and Moses falls short David, man after God's own heart Solomon, wisest man who'd ever live uh, Josiah he's maybe even put a notch above his father David <laughs> you know, of all the, all the kings and even he, he runs off to Pharaoh Nico and is killed gets involved in sort of international politics or whatever, <laughs> tries to intervene when he's going north uh, to stop the uh, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar and his father and such. Um, well, I guess it'd be, that'd be before uh, probably Nebuchadnezzar then, but uh, as king. Um, and so you see ine inevitably, even with Josiah and the people's rebellion, God says, yep, this curse is going to come upon you after your days when, when you go to rest with your fathers. And so the curse does come upon uh, Israel uh, and so they, they need a new covenant. They need something uh, that will deal once and for all uh, with, uh, with, uh, with these things. And so, you know, because of our weakness, 
and even in our unglorified state, you know, we, we need something, we need something more. We need a once for all perfect sacrifice. Uh, we need regeneration for all God's people. We need to be glorified. Uh, and so there is kind of this tension is uh, the law, this covenant legal code that when it's violated brings a curse. And yep, there's, there's provision of atonement and yet year after year and the curse does come upon them uh, and, and all of that. And so, um, it, it couldn't it couldn't ultimately uh, perfect uh, perfect them uh, and you know as a nation and, and even as individuals because you need a once for all sacrifice so uh, that's where uh, all of these expectations I mean you and your king will be cursed and cast out of the land and when David and Solomon why is it man who ever lived failed like we need something more <laughs> it just falls short Moses can't enter. God face to face. I mean, you, you read the end of Deuteronomy 34. And there, you know, there has not been a prophet like Moses, you know, for uh, new God face to face and for all the mighty works and deeds and uh, terrors and, you know, that God brought about through him. It's like if Moses can't enter, who can? <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, there, there, there's kind of, yep, there, there's that curse there, provision, but it's provisional. Uh, but it, there is wisdom there. There is instruction. And so when we read, you know, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, we're, we're getting off, but this, this is important, <laughs> very important to, to understand. Uh, so foundational that when you, what was I going to say? When you, you have this classical sort of explanation where, Okay, you, you have the, the moral law, which usually is just equated with the Ten Commandments. Um, law, law of Baptists, though, not all, but, you know, say, well, okay, Sabbath has changed. And, and come on, I mean, even you Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists, why, why Sunday? Why the beginning of the week? Why not the end? <laughs> That's not, that is not uh, the Fourth Commandment. Uh, and so, you know, you can't have to, even they have to admit something's changed. Uh, but, you know, that's the moral law. Then you have the ceremonial law for the priests and all that. And then the, the civil law, you know, Israel, we, we don't have the theocracy right now. And so ceremonial, civil, those are done away with. We're just left with the Ten Commandments. But you end up with so many problems with that. I mean, honor your father and mother. And what was uh, the punishment for not doing that? There to be stoned. I mean, if they like struck their parents or uh, were continued persistent in rebellion uh, and you see that you're no longer bound to the Sabbath. Paul even says that um, talks about Sabbaths and new moons and uh, talks about traditions of men and man-made religion that uh, you're keeping. And he's warning them about those things. Um, you see, see this transition to the first day of the week. There's something that's changed. That was their custom. They didn't have to be on the first day of the week, but... Um, so you even end up, uh, even though, yes, there is wisdom, we're still to honor our father and mother and such, you know, Paul says that in Ephesians, but the, the, there are changes. And so it, it doesn't deal adequately uh, with, with the issue uh, in the Torah as a whole uh, that they had rebelled against. And uh, we spoke about that, you know, at length in some of our past uh, classes, but where even with circumcision, wait, that was under the Abrahamic covenant. But it's part of the five books of Moses, part of the Torah. Um, and they'll quote from narrative sections and, uh, and all of it. And uh, as covenant, no longer under the law. It's, it's no longer has legal binding. It no longer brings a curse in that sense. Uh, but you still see it's still a source uh, for wisdom, for instruction, uh, Torah. And, uh, and so... I've given an example. When I read uh, that in Numbers, uh, you have a man who's picking up sticks on the Sabbath and he was put to death. And it's like, you know, how many who, who claim to keep the Sabbath, they don't even keep it at the end of the week, Saturday or Saturday. Uh, do they use their ovens or, you know, um, uh, lights or whatever? Um, but he picks up the sticks and I think Moses was even kind of upset with God 
from that. It seemed like harsh or whatever, um, uh, maybe initially. Uh, but I'm trying to think if that was the instance. But you have the man pick, yeah. pick up sticks. Yeah. yeah. Right after the law was given. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, set, they're setting out. Right at, you know, the spies had rebelled. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so he's, he's uh, just out there, just disregards God's law. Uh, seems to be a high-handed rebellion or whatever, and everyone's resting, not him. He's going to uh, go pick up sticks. Uh, and God strikes him dead as an example. And then after that, uh, I think you have kind of, may even have kind of a, I don't know if the temptation connection is there, but the, the man's rebellion. He then commands them, all the people, uh, to put tassels on their garments uh, and it was a reminder, so like the priests, they were to have tassels on their garments to remind them they were a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, that they were to be holy to God uh, in representing him, uh, in keeping his rest, which was actually a gracious provision for the people <laughs> yeah. of rest. Um, and so when I look at those tassels, I don't say, oh, I better put tassels on my garments. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'm under, I'm under that covenant. You know, we, we don't read it like that, most of us. Um, but I still learn and, and I reflect knowing the New Testament, the teaching, Peter, Paul, and such, you're a kingdom of priests, you're a holy nation. That hasn't changed. No. You know, we, we still represent God. We still, we yeah. offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice uh, to him. And so all believers are... are uh, priests of God and represent him and represent him before before the nations. And so I still learn from that text, even though I'm not putting tassels, you know, I, I don't think I don't put myself under the legal binding code that they'll bring a curse upon me, but I still connect it to the New Testament in the context we live in, the new covenant. And it's just as true um, now and in some ways maybe even more so uh, under the new covenant as it was under under the old. And so I still learn from that. Yeah. I just want to read from Romans 3 real quick. <laughs> what, what then, uh, Romans 3, first verse, what then, uh, what, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. For in the first place, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their faithlessness nullify the, well, nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thinking, Eliakim and me, I'm pretty close in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I've been given kingship by any means. But, so he failed, I'm going to fail too. But God's given me the means by which I can know the difference. Mm -hmm. And that, in, in the Old Testament, that was the law. And that was the means of grace, I think, and what you're alluding to. And on the New Testament, that's the value of studying the law, mm -hmm. is knowing the, the light from the dark. Mm -hmm. Then darkness, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I guess then that's what I, I'm agreeing with you. Really. Yeah, yeah. That teaching, that instruction is still there. And as Richard Mayhew has said, said some other things. <laughs> yeah, he had a, a talk at a shepherd's conference uh, and it, it, was, um, it was about the, the Mosaic Law written in stone. And so you had all these people who came to the shepherd's conference and then this breakout session with Richard Mayhew and he was like, so the title says uh, written in stone. Put a question mark on that. <laughs> it wasn't written out correctly. Uh, written in stone? You know, question. <laughs> like, yeah, I just stepped on some people's air hoses. Because <laughs> he knows with uh, some of his uh, maybe Reformed Presbyterian friends and such, uh, you know, kind of how they view the, maybe the Ten Commandments or the moral law. But he was saying like with murder, uh, murder was wrong before the giving of the Mosaic Law. Although they, they try and connect with the covenant with Adam. So that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> and the Mosaic Law is just kind of a, a republication or whatever of, of a, uh, I think the technical word of uh, uh, the covenant of works that they put in the garden. So, um, but anyway, the, some of that goes Kelvin, and, but then uh, some who followed him. Uh, but, and some of the confessions that follow especially, but, uh, Murder was wrong before uh, the giving of the Mosaic Law. It was wrong during, 
And we see in the New Testament, it's wrong after. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're supposed to love God, you're supposed to love your neighbor. Yeah, it's like yeah. Really, nothing has changed. <laughs> the, the Sabbath, and, you know, yeah. in what Hebrews, you get to see that in Jesus we have true Sabbath rest. Yeah. So yeah. Is, it, is the day really done away with? Well, not when Christ is here. Yeah. We have Sabbath. Everlasting, everlasting rest. And you even see that with that theme of rest. It's not just the seventh day. Uh, but I mean, you, you hit with, with all of their feasts and uh, Passover in the, in the seven weeks, Feast of Unleavened Bread, seventh month, uh, seventh year, uh, 49th, you know, into the 50th. So, in a sense, Jubilees. none of the Ten Commandments have changed in reality. Though. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, as far as we're no longer bound to, uh, to stone our children uh, who persistently, rebelliously don't honor their, high-handedly don't uh, rebel against their parents. Uh, sometimes it even talks about like striking, hitting their parents. Um, and so you, you, have, uh, you have certain differences. Uh, we're no longer legally bound to the law as covenant, Ten Commandments as covenant that brings a curse upon us. Um, but, you know, by and large, you see them all reaffirmed in one way or another in the, in the new, uh, new covenant. Uh, and, and as they're also consistent with creation. Yeah. So I remember Eric mentioning a book or an article you gave him, and it was talking when he was going through the Roman study, mm -hmm. talking about the law being revelatory. Paul mentions that, well, I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. So I, I thought that was just an interesting point to be brought up. And then. I don't know if we want. We probably don't want to get into because we don't have time. But no, you let's get into Romans. go ahead because we're we're not we we've kind of we've kind of blown it already. Side. So, uh, so uh, but this is this is important. This, so this is good. Romans fourteen and fifteen. Yeah, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around those because you mentioned Sabbath day and how Paul talks about these kind of ideas of man, kind of, and he talks about well, some view holy days or one day more holy than another, but. Let each be convinced in his own mind as long as God is glorified is kind of the view he has. And mm -hmm, then he talks mm -hmm. about the weak Christians and the strong Christians and the food sacrifice to idols and food, that's in First Corinthians, but food in general. Mm -hmm. And some of those things seem so clearly dealt with in Scripture, mm -hmm. and yet some of them are tying back to the Old Testament. And it almost makes it sound like, well, he does say at the end of Romans 14, I think, that whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is a really <laughs> interesting way to look at it and a very challenging passage. So I don't know if we want to get into any of that, but yeah. no, those are my questions or comments. Well, and there, I mean, when you have there, I mean, the good thing is to be, you want to be a stronger Christian. Right. You, you want to be taught, you want to be instructed, you want to know the freedom that we have in Christ for, for Jew and Gentile. Um, but he wasn't telling uh, Jews and Gentiles when it came to what God command, when it was things that, uh, that it, it wasn't what God uh, necessarily commanded that they're bound to or prohibited, but areas of Christian liberty, that he wasn't saying, now uh, Jews or Judeans, you know, that's kind of how they'd think of themselves at that time. It's kind of uh, been shortened a bit. Uh, with the kingdom of Judah uh, that continued in, in the land. But they didn't have to just stop being Judeans. Uh, and so if, you know, their family and those around them kept the Sabbath, they weren't bound uh, to do that. Uh, they didn't have to observe that day because they were not legally, covenantally bound to Torah as law, as covenant. Uh, but they've been freed from that. They're under the new covenant. But they have the freedom to observe the Sabbath and to have that rest. If it's with their family, uh, with the, the people that they live around. Uh, and Paul would even, you know, observe those things. And he had Timothy circumcised. <laughs> it's like, wow, you know, Paul railing against the Judaizers. But he didn't do it because he was obligated to be circumcised. It just made it easier for the sake of the gospel uh, since he had a Jewish mother, that they could enter into the synagogue and proclaim the gospel and, and have, have an audience with uh, Jews. And so 
he uh, decided to do that, and hopefully Timothy consented, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I assume he did. Uh, but, and so they, they have the freedom to observe uh, the, the Passover, uh, the feasts, uh, and those things. Uh, and they have the freedom not to. Uh, where it becomes a problem is once they start binding fellow Christians and saying, you must yeah. keep, you must keep the Sabbath. You must keep the Passover. You must keep these feasts. Otherwise, you're not pleasing to God. Otherwise, you're in rebellion. Otherwise, you're unbelieving and unrepentant. No, we're, we're under the new covenant. We're no longer uh, under the Torah as covenant, uh, as legal code uh, that's binding, that brings a curse upon us. You know, it's still scripture. It's still a source of wisdom and instruction uh, as it's consistent with God's uh, work and purposes in creation and the new covenant. Uh, but, and so for those who are weaker, you know, if they think, and they're hard, they're difficult things that it takes time to wrestle with and think through scripture. When you look at passages in Isaiah that the, the nations will come and, uh, and that, they they'll come and uh, to be taught uh, to be taught law, you know Yahweh's law or whatever. Um, you get to the end of Isaiah and it talks about how in the kingdom, uh, I think in Zechariah, that uh, they shall keep Sabbath and certain feasts and stuff like that. Uh, and so some of that would it seems that some of the feasts and such will be reinstituted in the millennial kingdom. Uh, and. Israel will faithfully uh, keep those on tabernacles. I think you even see that, like in Zechariah and such. Um, and maybe some there's some new. I think Erica spoke about it too. There's some new imagery and ideas. It's kind of like you have the old Exodus, where you have a new Exodus uh, that they'll be remembering. Uh, kind of like how the Passover, Lord's Supper, connection with it, but something new with the the Lord's Supper. Um, with this uh, this greater. Uh, Passover um, that God gives. Uh, and so that's, there are things to wrestle with throughout scripture. And so it's by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, and so if it offends someone's conscience and they think they would be disobeying God, but they're not, you know, they're not falsely binding others, um, then you don't want to encourage them uh, to, uh, to, to dis do what they think would be disobeying God. You, you hope that they'll grow in maturity and understanding over time, but that might take time. And so one issue would be, uh, I think, good example, head coverings. Now, if you read the very end of Paul's discussion in Corinthians on head coverings, so is the practice in all the churches of God or, you know, or whatever. You just read that. It's like, well, should women be wearing head coverings? And there are churches, a lot of times it be in Reformed Baptist or Reformed Presbyterian. Even if the elders, that's not their conviction, there'll be some women who, who are wearing head coverings because that's their conviction. They, they won't want to rebel against God and they're not forcing all the younger women or you know, all the other women to do it. Um, but you know, if you work through that passage, we won't go through it. Paul's taking tactful, persuasive approach. And it's interesting where he starts with creation. And he says, you know, uh, God gave woman, uh, created the first woman. Uh, and he created her with a natural head cover, her hair. Now, he didn't argue that he created Eve with, <laughs> with a scarf or something or a shawl or, or whatever draped over her head. No, her hair was a natural head cover. Women tend to have more robust hair, all other things being equal uh, than men and uh, don't suffer as often with like, you know, uh, pattern baldness and uh, well, fuller heads of hair. Well, when he points back to creation, if he could say that women have always been wearing head coverings uh, other than their hair, why didn't he say that? <laughs> and so there's something cultural uh, going on and it's bound up with a, a symbol of authority with their husbands and so it would be parallel today like a woman if she entered into every time she went to church before she went she took her wedding ring off we'd be like 
why every time you go into church or every time you go into a public place, you remove your wedding ring to make it look like you're not married. That'd be kind of shocking. Uh, in fact, very troubling. You know, if you see her slip it every time, walking in the door, wedding ring, oh, tuck it away. Um, and so there, it's, it's a cultural symbol uh, that we use of people being married. Uh, and so she'd basically be saying, I'm not married. I'm not bound to my husband. You know, I'm not under his authority. I'm not submitted to him. Um, and so that's the head covering issue. Uh, you had this uh, cultural expression. And even like today, uh, the ultra Orthodox uh, in Israel, uh, when women are married, they have a covering scarf that they'll put over their hair. Uh, once they're married, when they're not married, they don't do that. When they're married, they do. And so it'd be uh, to then go in public and uh, pull that off whenever you, uh, you know, go somewhere public would be basically saying, I'm not married. You know, I'm not bound to my husband. Um, and so that'd be like an example of, for some, they read what Paul says and, you know, his last statement sounds kind of strong. And so uh, they think that they better uh, do that. They don't want to be in rebellion against God. And so there is the issue of, of Christian, uh, Christian liberty. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you thought with that passage in Romans? Oh, you had in mind? It's just, you can always take stuff too far, mm-hmm. of course, which is, you know, Paul, he had mentioned he becomes all things to all people as one under the law, but not under the law. Mm-hmm. And as one not under the law, but under the law of Christ, I think is kind of how he puts it. So it's interesting that he says that. And there's always, you know, and this is just me, there's always just this tendency to when you read those passages to almost become a people pleaser instead of pleasing God and to me that's the significance of those passages at the end of that where mm-hmm. it's all by faith and it's to the glory of God and we should be informed by scripture like you said and how it mm-hmm. it reveals and it acts on us and but that always gets challenging to me because I do agree with Bob where there is one correct interpretation of the passage but mm-hmm. that has many implications and applications mm-hmm. but it's challenging to me especially with the food stuff is you is it mark or one of the gospels you know thus christ made all Declared food, all food clean. Clean. and like that one just seems so clear to me mm-hmm. and yet paul leaves it as this open-ended christian liberty item yeah and there i mean the real issue is for jews uh, that they don't have to, yes, all foods are clean, and he wants them to understand that. Um, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't observe, like, the Sabbath. Yeah. You know, they had that freedom. Just with the families, I mean, if you're living, you're surrounded by Judean people, <laughs> you know, it'd be easier to just keep keep the Sabbath for for the sake of the gospel to be able to proclaim and share the gospel with people so as to not cause unnecessary offense but knowing the freedom that uh, that we have and that's what he kind of boils it down to and so where you take a stand is when people start uh, commanding what God hasn't commanded and prohibiting what he hasn't prohibited (coughs) now you're dealing with legalism now you're dealing with false binding there you must take a stand Uh, and maybe someone initially is confused and so you know, you're gentle, you're gracious, you're loving. But that's where we always have to take a stand. And so that's what Paul did with even Peter yeah. uh, in Galatians. Uh, there, I mean, so to speak, uh, for Paul, the gloves come off. I mean, that's, uh, that's uh, the issue. Um, and so it can be surprising sometimes where um, maybe his openness to some of these things or he circumc- had Timothy circumcised. <laughs> Oh, what, what are you doing? I, I thought you were against that. Well, making it mandatory and, and bound up with uh, with the gospel and yeah. uh, faith in Christ and forgiveness. But uh, that passage that you're talking about, I love this passage, 1 Corinthians 9. Because here you see all the elements. You know, this will kind of tie together what, what we've been discussing. Let's read through it. Uh, 
fairly quickly. And it actually starts in chapter 8. It ends in chapter 10. And so at the beginning of 8, you have this now concerning phrase. So you have a big topic that has changed. Uh, now, uh, now concerning food offered to idols. So he's picking up the questions that Corinthians had asked him about. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So he's already putting emphasis. Yeah, knowledge is important. But love is more important. Love, love is the key. You'll see that with the spiritual gifts, too. Yes. In chapter 13, uh, even knowledge, hope, faith, these things will be done away with when we see God face to face. Love, that continues into the eschaton. That continues for eternity. Um, and so love uh, is, uh, is key here. Uh, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know, so here's knowledge, uh, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And now, just a word there. Uh, that comes from the Shema. Mm -hmm. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 or 5, verse 5, I think. Uh, and actually, I kind of wanted to go there with the Jehovah's Witnesses. One of them quoted here, say there's only one God. I quoted the rest of them after it. I had heard from uh, James White. Uh, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, so-called, so not, not really, not the one true living creator God. Uh, yet for us, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one. Uh, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom we exist. And so the Father, one God, Jesus, one Lord, in Hebrew, Yahweh. He uses what connects to the personal name, and Paul very well knows what the personal name of God, his covenantal name, uh, in, in the Shema, here, here Shema, uh, Shema Yisrael, uh, here Israel. Um, the Lord our God in Greek, uh, Yahweh our God in Hebrew. And so for us, uh, for, for us, uh, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, creator of all, and one Lord, Yahweh in Hebrew, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, through whom we exist, Jehovah. Uh, one God, one Lord, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Father uh, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are one. One God, one Lord. Uh, so that that is stunning for people who think that uh, sort of the Trinity uh, and God uh, existing as the one true living God existing uh, for all eternity in three co-equal, uh, co-essential uh, co persons having the same essence, same same being. Uh, Paul just casually quotes from that. It just boggles the mind that <laughs> he would use the, the Shema uh, that way. Yep. It is interesting, though, and I could see how they could come back and say, well, the Spirit's not mentioned. Oh, well, he mentions the Spirit elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I know he does. I know he does. I'm just saying, I could see how they would say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, so not all possess this, uh, this knowledge that uh, about, the, uh, about the idols, especially is going to get to the food sacrifice to the idols. Uh, Paul does recognize you have these uh, angelic created uh, beings. I mean, sometimes people create an idol or whatever, and so whether they're worshiping nothing or uh, oftentimes you have uh, demonic uh, beings that, I mean, Satan is uh, God of this age and is really uh, in a sense uh, behind all idolatry going back to the garden and rebellion. Uh, but verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol. So they used to engage like in the temple and participate in these practices of eating before other false gods. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Uh, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we, are, uh, if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge uh, eating in an idol's temple... Uh, will he not uh, be encouraged uh, if his conscience is weak to eat the food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed of the brother for whom Christ died. So it entice them to eat, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. Uh, when it is weak, uh, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And now the issue is, he, Paul's not going to give them permission to actually participate in the temple rites uh, in the gauging of those religious practices. If you read until 10, chapter 10, he's going to warn about that. Mm -hmm. It's offered to demons. Don't participate in the actual temple practices. But the issue is, the meat, since the idols didn't actually physically eat, eat the meat, they'd offer it, idols don't eat, so they'd later sell the meat sometimes on the meat market. <laughs> And if you bought meat that had happened to be offered to an idol, Paul says, uh, don't worry about where it came from. It's just meat. You can buy it, take it home, eat it. You know, if someone serves it, don't ask any questions. Even if it's an unbeliever, don't ask questions. Just eat it. Eat the meat. Don't worry about it. But they're not participating in the temple practices. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm getting this all right. Mm -hmm. We see in verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then we see that these people who don't possess the knowledge are called brothers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that the people not possessing this knowledge are Christians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and the knowledge... I would say it's new Christians that came up into temple worship. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And the knowledge that he's referring to is what was back in verse 4. We know that an idol has no real existence and there is... No God but one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we can have Christians who think that there's more than one God? Well, here I think the key is that knowing, and Paul's going to draw on this later into like chapter 10, that you do have demonic entities uh, behind uh, false religion uh, and idols and things like that. And so when they eat uh, the, the meat, which you'll, you'll go into more detail, they think they're even outside of the temple context. Just if, it, if the meat had been put before an idol, later sold in the meat market, someone bought it and served it, if they knew that that meat had been offered to the idol in the temple, they would think that they're uh, eating uh, basically in communion with this spiritual entity you know, demon or somehow practice a demon behind this it. Former temple worship. Yeah, that, that they're participating I'm, I'm in. Back in the problem area. Again. And so, yeah. even gods, in the sense of, I mean, like in the Old Testament, sometimes it talks about gods as real entities, these created spiritual entities, beings. Uh, you have uh, that are you know God's angelic host, uh, and then you have uh, the demonic, evil beings that rebel. Uh, and so, sometimes it speaks about not in the sense of the one true living creator God, but those that God has put the nations under, you know, these demonic entities. 
Uh, and so they think that they're participating in it, especially as you continue to read all the way through 10, yeah. that the key issue is the meat and thinking that yeah. they'd be participating. Yeah. They just, you read that and it's like, well, man, you, know, you hear about these people, these like dualistic type of people yeah. where you got, well, the good God and the bad God and they're waging war. And it's like, well, I, can you be a Christian and believe some yeah. of this stuff? Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, it almost sounds like yes, but uh, it gets to be. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, I mean, you, you have uh, the, the core teaching that's bound up with it as the one true living creator God. Yeah, that's important. Um, and so there, there are some things they might still be working through in some confusion, uh, but uh, that where you have the apostolic teaching and uh, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, uh, and his deity and humanity, that he's the one true living God and son of the Father, um, those are things that would be proclaimed and taught to them. But Paul can also use kind of the, probably the God language, you know, he's going to speak about the, what's well, really, it's demons. Right. So it's not, when he says so-called God, so-called God, Lord's not really, you know, it's not the, it's not the creator. Right. Um, but here with the law, let's quickly go through this. Paul now is giving an argument from himself in analogy about his freedom uh, that he has, uh, and the knowledge he has, but setting it aside for his uh for others. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes, he is free. Yes, he is an apostle. Yes, he has seen Jesus uh, our Lord. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Uh, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Of course they do. Uh, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without e eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Uh, do I say these things on human authority? So he gives this analogy. Of course, soldiers don't serve at their own expense. Uh, one who plants uh, a vineyard uh, doesn't do so without eating of its fruit. One who tends a flock without getting the milk. Uh, uh, a worker deserves his wages. So, so for a soldier, so for a uh, vine dresser, so for uh, a herdsman or farmer. Uh, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Whoa! We have the law quoted as an authority. What's he going to draw? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? That sounds like civil law running how Israel, you know, and the, the treading of grain and things like that. Is that moral law? Sounds kind of like civil law. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Uh, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Uh, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, uh, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Uh, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So they could get support from the Corinthian church for teaching and proclaiming the word, but they set aside this right uh, so they can proclaim the gospel freely. Uh, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. That sounds like ceremonial law with the priests. Oh no, what's happening to our categories? You know, moral, civil, ceremony. I thought it was just the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, Paul's quoting as an authority, the law. Paul, are you putting us back under the law? You know, as covenant? Uh, he's falsely binding us. 
in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Oh! So his last argument, you know, coming from the world and experience, worker deserves his wages. Uh, uh, is it just on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same? Quote as an authority? Priestly, ceremonial illustration. Uh, these learning from drawing on. But he concludes with, in the same way the Lord commanded, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It's consistent with the Lord's teaching, with Christ's teaching under the new covenant. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things, to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And now here's the concluding part I want to read. So Paul, he could receive support from the churches for proclaiming the gospel. He sets this aside so he can proclaim it freely without any hindrance or obstacle. He's not demanding anything from anyone, but he's proclaiming the good news of salvation in Christ uh, and his kingdom. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Uh, to those under the law, in other words, Jews, as covenant, I became as one under the law. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he became as one under the law, but not really. He's not really under the old covenant. He's not really legally uh, bound to that. Uh, he's been free from that. So to those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To not give any offense to Jews. You know, he is a Jew. He's not going to worry about the kosher thing. Instead, he's going to preach Christ. Uh, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul, what are you, an antinomian? There is no law. You know, we're, we're free from it. In fact, that, that prior one, not myself being under the law. Paul, you, are you an antinomian? You're against the law. You're free. You can do whatever you want. You know, uh, anarchy reigns. Uh, but now to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. It's not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And so, Paul, as Brian S. Rosner says, repudiates the law, does away with it as covenant, the Mosaic law. He replaces it now with new covenant themes and ideas. Uh, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Something, something bigger, something else, something that uh, the Judeans were not under as covenant, unbelieving Judeans who hadn't converted to Christ, who who uh, still kept uh, the Mosaic uh, law. Uh, so to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Right? Under the Mosaic law, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Uh, then he goes to the exhortation to uh, run the race, uh, to win as one qualified. He warns about idolatry, uh, falling into idolatry. You can't eat it in temples. You cannot participate uh, in uh, the worship of demons because he has to qualify this. He has to balance this so you don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you can actually go participate in the temple rituals. Uh, but then go to the end in chapter 10. And so he warns about like those in the wilderness who uh, 
participated. You can't participate in the cup of demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Like those who died in the wilderness, who worshipped uh, the golden calves and the idols and demons. Uh, now verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, so he's summarizing, without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Don't ask where the meat came from, whether it had been in the temple before and then later sold in the meat market. Uh, just eat what's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been uh, offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it uh, for the sake of the one who informed you, uh, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Avoiding legalism. So you have a believer here. So if someone says, that meat was sacrificed to, to idols, don't eat it. Because you, you don't want to entice them to eat it if they think it would be a sin. And that they'd be participating in the same wickedness and idolatry that they were previously. Um, I do not mean for your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, so here's the big message of all of this. Uh, 9 through 12, in concerning meat sacrificed idols. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. For the sake of proclaiming the gospel to unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, but if you have a believer, then uh, you, you prioritize uh, not enticing them to engage in uh, what they think would be sin in their old way of life. So there you, you have... Uh, capstone of this, but real illustration of what we were talking about with the law and balancing it all out, avoiding legalism, uh, keeping God's commandments, prohibitions, uh, not being under the law as covenant, as legal code uh, that binds us and brings a curse upon us, the Torah, five books of Moses, but uh, it's still as scripture, as a source of wisdom and instruction, as it's consistent with creation and Christ's teaching, uh, Paul can even quote it as an authority. <laughs> and he ends with Christ. Yeah. That seems like in the Jerusalem Council on Acts, they were, they were one step stronger on this at the beginning. Mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. you, know, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat strangled, uh, of strangled animals, and sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. so, so kind of talking about there the freedoms that they have in Christ apart from the law. So I, I, I don't know, it, it almost seems like at the very beginning they were thinking stay away from food sacrificed to idols, but Paul's seemed to go on and say, hey, even the food sacrificed to idols is nothing if you really realize it and mm -hmm. you're not participating in the idol worship. Yeah, so. and, and there, there, there probably the issue is probably the actual participation in the pagan idolatry. Right. And even the blood, that issue might go back to Noah. You know, I'd have to look at that again. Could be bound up also with... Uh, There's that Old Testament where, you know, the, the blood is always a problem. You're not supposed to be drinking the blood and you're, you know, you're not supposed to be... Life is in the blood. Yeah, and then you're not supposed to take an animal and, and boil it in its mother's milk. You know, yeah. They thought that was a detestable thing in the Old Testament. It's bound up with also like certain pagan practices, yeah. I think, too. So that was probably a pagan practice yeah. back then. And so stay away from drinking blood. From yeah. And whether some things concession to fellow believers, but other things, I mean, maybe all, all those things bound up with idolatry itself. Yeah. So, so oh. it, it seems like they, 
they even struggled with that one at the, at the Jerusalem Council, stay away from it. But uh, again, I think it's probably more for the participation part of it. Yeah, and Luke, I mean, you kind of get the capstone, the summary, you know, in their letter and such, but it's like they still had to wrestle with issues, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, it, all meat is, you know, you're free from the, all the food laws, you know, and they struggled with it, especially if that was your background in Judaism. Mm-hmm. What, they, all yeah. along they struggled with that one. I know, like for myself, now, I don't, I've never thought that I can't watch any movies or film, but I used to be, I went to be a film major, and not everything, but a lot that I would revel in and think was uh, the most artsy and sophisticated, best films and such, were about as wicked, I mean, as you could ever, like, imagine, uh, whether violence or vulgarity or whatever, um, some of them. And so you could easily see, and, you know, I would play it more safe, you know, as far as... Uh, I just kind of lost interest in a lot, a lot, a lot of films. Those talking about watching a Star Wars, you know, movie recently. But uh, but you might have someone who, who is maybe in a situation like that where they're they're like, I don't want to watch any movies, you know, at all. Period, you know. And so you won't want to entice someone like that. No, no, no. Come on, come on. It'll be fine. Let's go to the movies, you know. Like, no, just let them be, you know. Don't. Yeah. Don't uh, entice them there and say, well, maybe you can watch this one that's just a little little more uh, edgy than, than this or he has a little more violence or whatever. And, you know, you don't want to do that. So we, we wrestle with those things today. So well, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, just for uh, your providence uh, in uh, some of the things that we discussed tonight that uh, maybe didn't expect to, but that just so important uh, to the gospel, uh, to the freedom that we have, uh, the liberty that we have in your son, uh, and understanding uh, how to uh, put love first for you, uh, and uh, then also because we love you for fellow believers, uh, that uh, we pray that we'd have the same attitude that Paul has uh, to do all things for the sake of the gospel, uh, whether that is Uh, standing up for the truth and against legalism and false teaching, uh, things you don't command and that you do not prohibit, uh, that are falsely abound upon our fellow believers and us, uh, or uh, whether it's matters of Christian liberty and uh, showing love and concern for our weaker brothers, uh, but also desiring uh, for them to uh, come to understand uh, the liberty and freedom uh, that they have. And so pray that you would... uh, Apply these things to our hearts and minds uh, in uh, in our local assembly. Uh, uh, we just thank you for these things and uh, also understand just how important they are to our uh, study of the, the Torah. That is, uh, although we're not bound as covenant, uh, the reason we study and learn about it is because of all it teaches, uh, your instruction, your wisdom, uh, prophecy, teachings uh, uh, of uh, the, your covenants, your promises, your son. Thank you for all these things and pray in his name. Amen. Amen.